Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Essentials, written by the world's leading sustainable builders, designers, and engineers, New Society Publishers' Sustainable Building Essentials series covers the full range of natural and green building techniques with a focus on sustainable materials and methods and code compliance. From rainwater harvesting to composting toilets to straw bale, rammed earth, hempcrete, and more, these unique books present the essential information on each topic. Find out more about the Sustainable Building Essentials series at NewSociety.com. I finally had the chance to do a follow-up session with one of my favorite natural builders, April McGill. She's not only an accomplished architect, builder, and educator through her company Root Down Design and the American College of the Building Arts, she's also constantly experimenting with new techniques and materials as you'll hear in this episode. Back in the first interview that I recorded with April, we dissected rammed earth and how she was working to revive the craft for all its potential benefits for her climate and conditions in Charleston, North Carolina. This time we talk about hempcrete and how its anti-molding insulative properties are presenting all kinds of new options for builders whose contexts call for insulation to overcome the large temperature swings in different seasons and also need to resist the humidity. We talk about her recent experiments in packing forms in traditional framed homes, the mixture that she's had success with that includes the pozzolan additive metakaolin, as well as where certain materials are sourced from. The second half of the interview we dedicate to the topic of home renovations and how it can often be more environmentally responsible to repair and retrofit an existing home than to build an entirely new one, even if it's made primarily with natural materials. This interview gives a realistic view of some of the common topics that you listeners have asked me about in the past, and I'm always excited to talk to professionals who give an honest account of costs, processes, and help to bust myths about natural building and the construction trades in general. Now, in case you're looking for even more information on the myths and realities of building for yourself or hiring a contractor to build a natural structure, you can also check out the article that sums these things up called The Real Cost of a Natural Building by clicking on the link in the show notes or in the catalog of articles in the navigation bar at AbundantEdge.com. I really feel motivated to give people the most accurate picture of the whole process of building a natural structure for themselves since social media and so many clickbait articles have planted unrealistic expectations around the web. So without droning on too long, I'll hand things over now to April. Hey, April, thank you so much for coming back and talking with me. It's such a pleasure to chat with you again. How are you doing? Doing great, Oliver. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, we're just kind of winding down at the end of this summer here. How has the season for building and teaching been for you this year? It's been busy. Yeah, it's been great. A um, lot of, of growing interest around these concepts and these me- methods and materials. So um, I think that's exciting to see just a very consistent um, growth in terms of people's interest and um, and people's action around wanting to shift over into more environmentally sensitive materials and methods. So 
Yeah, that's yes. fantastic. I'm glad to hear it. Now, if people are interested in hearing about your background, I'm going to refer them back to the episode that we recorded in an earlier season um, where okay. we talked more about reviving rammed earth and hybrid buildings. But today we'll focus more on an innovative material called hempcrete and also on the possibilities of environmentally responsible renovations and making healthy homes. So sure. why don't we start at the beginning with hempcrete? Could you define hempcrete and talk about some of its advantages and limitations? Sure. So um, hempcrete um, was established in Europe, um, I believe a couple decades ago. And um, it's just a method of taking the hemp fiber and um, combining it with a lime slurry. And you're making a lightweight insulation that gets packed in between formwork. And so it can be integrated with stud framing or timber framing. Um, it really works hand in hand with conventional framing methods. Um, but essentially it's a, it's a lightweight um, insulation that is breathable, um, vapor permeable, um, rot proof, mold proof, termite proof, and fire resistant. Um, and then it's also, um, it's a carbon sequester in that the hemp fiber itself as it grows is sequestering carbon from the atmosphere and storing that in its fiber. And then um, lime also, as it continues to cure over the course of many, many, many years, continues to suck carbon from the atmosphere. So we see um, hempcrete as, um, as a carbon negative material uh, for its ability to continue to suck carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, it's also being produced with a rapidly renewable resource, no toxins, no VOCs. Um, and one of the biggest um, pros that I see for especially my climate region where it's so wet is its ability to handle moisture. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but um, I know that it has the ability to take on an incredible amount of moisture and store it in its walls without um, failing or developing mold or mildews. Um, and so I think that's a really, really strong quality um, for my region. And as far as the limitations go, I would say um, at this point, we're still um, sourcing of the hemp fiber itself is still a bit challenging. Um, you can order from Canada um, where it's being grown more abundantly. Um, the United States is on the up and up with um, hemp production, but most people, most of the farmers growing hemp are growing for seed, um, for the CBD oils and whatnot. And there's only a few um, operations growing the fiber so there is um there are a couple of operations but the resources are still a bit limited um and then also as with many of our alternative methods um having people who can build with that material so having qualified builders 
remains to be one of the big um, challenges that we face, I think, with all of these methods is building up our supply of um, qualified people who can, who understand the method and who can build with it. So if I understand correctly, this is a wall infill method and has to be supported by some sort of other structure. It can't support any weight or isn't structurally viable on its own? That's right. Yeah, it's just infill. Um, it's just uh, insulation. And um, you can use it in the walls, in the your ceiling, and your floor. It can be used under slabs, but is not structural. Um, it does have some thermal mass qualities um, because of the lime. So you are getting um, insulation value and you're getting um, a little bit of thermal mass, which is nice, but um, you're definitely not getting the strength that you would need for it to be a load-bearing um, a load-bearing material. And so what are some of the ratios that you're putting in here? Uh, what is the quantity of like lime to to hemp fiber in this case? And the, is it coming in pre-packaged amounts or are you getting it in, I assume not bales because the fibers aren't very long? Yeah, so um, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna cause me to have to pull up my notes here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'll first of all say that everything I've learned about hempcrete, I've learned through um, Chris Magwood at the Endeavor Center, um, who also has an awesome book called Hempcrete Construction. Um, but Chris, I had Chris come down here to South Carolina in this past spring to lead a hempcrete workshop. And um, so I learned an incredible amount from him. And um, so there are different um, options. Um, and I would really have to pull up my notes and my videos to give you the exact proportions. But basically, um, if I'm remembering correctly, we, um, I think we did, um, Chris is going to have to call me out on this because I'm probably going to say it wrong, but I believe it was like four five gallon buckets of hemp fiber to, um, I want to say one bucket of the lime mix, but I would have to go back and double check that for you. Is that a pre-hydrated mix? Is, so you're working with yeah, so, powdered hydraulic okay. lime and the water's already added? Well, yeah, so there's a lot of different options. And one of the things that um, Chris did before he came down here to South Carolina to teach, um, he really helped me to explore what materials and resources we have available in my region, which I think is always important. So um, you can purchase a proprietary blend um, from Europe and it can get shipped over here to you and it comes in a bag, it's your lime mix and you just add water and, and mix the fiber and, and you go. However, that's a more costly, um, a costly way to do it because that that mix is very expensive and then you're also tacking on the carbon footprint of shipping it over from Europe so um, the other alternative is to use a standard well you could use uh, an NHL lime which is your more um, is your hydraulic lime mm -hmm. and um, 
it's also a more expensive lime to purchase. Or if you don't have access to the NHL, and the NHL is also coming from Europe. Um, it is not, NHL lime is not manufactured um, in the United States. So if you're looking for a more um, regional way to do it, you can take a standard um, type S lime, which is just your standard hydrated lime. It's a lot cheaper. I can get it here for about $12 a bag. Um, and then you wanna add a poslin into that mix. And a poslin is going to mix with your lime and create a chemical reaction and make the lime cure faster and cure harder. Um, it, essentially, you're making your own version of an NHL um, hydraulic lime. And so that's what we did because we discovered um, a, a, a material called metakaolin, which is a kaolin clay that's been fired. And once it's been fired, it's then becomes a poslin. And this is a material that's actually manufactured here in South Carolina. We have a metakaolin um, factory a couple hours from where I live. Um, and so Chris discovered that. And so it was kind of a no brainer that we might as well get um, equal parts metakaolin to equal parts type S. And we mixed the two at a 50-50 ratio. And we created essentially um, the NHL lime at a much cheaper cost and a more um, you know, locally based uh, way of sourcing the material. So we mixed the metakalin and the lime 50-50 um, and you just mix it dry, pour it into a bucket. And then we used a mortar mixer um, and we poured the hemp fiber in first, and then you pour in the, um, the lime metakaolin mix, and then we added water, and you kind of just do that slowly until you get sort of almost like a, I would say like a granola kind of a consistency. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of dry. Um, and you just let that mixer do its thing, and um, until it looks like all of the lime and metakaolin have been fully mixed and hydrated. Um, and then you dump it out of the mixer, carry it over to your wall, um, either in buckets or in a wheelbarrow, and then it gets um, poured into the formwork. So nice. I, I mean, it sounds yeah. like a long process when you kind of spell out every single one of the steps, but once you have the materials prepared, I would imagine it starts to go pretty fast and it's very yeah, applicable. And, and there's definitely, um, you know, we had we had a recipe. So, and again, I'd have to pull my notes, and I took tons of videos, and so I have have the info. I don't have it in front of me, but um, you know, we had a recipe that was like so many buckets of fiber to so many buckets of lime. Sure. And that makes a good mix in the mortar in the mortar mixer, and then um, so it was really easy. I mean, I you know I'm used to doing workshops and classes on building with earth and for one building with earth is so much heavier um yeah. carrying a, bu a bucket of mud versus a bucket of hempcrete is like it's so nice <laughs> yeah so I was, the whole time i was like oh my god this is so easy this is so easy um because you, you know you can just carry the bucket easily lift it up over your head dump it into the form and so i found it to be 
incredibly fast and um, and and much less labor intensive than what I was used to with um, more of the earthen methods. Sure, it's an advantage of the non-load bearing materials; is they don't have to be so yeah. dense. So I exactly. assume then in this workshop you were building with limecrete as poured forms, much like you would mm -hmm. with rammed earth, except for rather than exactly. compacting it nearly as densely. You're yep. leaving, I mean, I'm sure you'd have to compact a little bit to make sure that there weren't any vacancies or like air pockets in there. Yes, well, um, you actually want air pockets, um, you know, for to have a good insulation, you want as much air in that material as possible. So the more air um, that's in there, the better the insulation, the more packed and dense it is the better thermal mass and the less insulation you're going to have. So, mm -hmm. so you're more spreading have, it around. Yeah. And, and really you're just, you have this, just a really simple piece of wood. I think we use like little chunks of two by fours. And once it gets poured into the form, you're really just going right along the edge, um, kind of right around the perimeter and you're using your little stick and you're just tamping it down right around the perimeter so that you have a really tight, surface edge and then in the middle you're almost you're not even tamping that you're just kind of using your hand and giving it a really soft compression but you want to leave it pretty fluffy and loose in the middle but then just have your edges um tamped more solid sure and so as yeah. you rise up in these other lifts is there a risk that the material down below is not curing fast enough that it might start to get compressed as you build up above it? Um, no, we didn't really have that issue. Um, and I guess it's light enough material. It's not putting a ton yeah, of pressure on the, it, it was, the layers it below. It was really cool. Like, I mean, we just, it, it's pretty amazing how fast you can go because we did, um, our formwork was about three feet tall so we did about a three foot section and then by the time we finished that section we just took it off and moved it up the wall and um and the stuff below stayed right in place um because yeah you're not you're not really pushing it down that hard so um it's pretty incredible how how fast the work goes and how quick you can move up the wall so, so tell me a bit about the formwork then. Uh, I know you're familiar with using different types of forms with the rammed earth. Is it yeah. a different types of form or like it doesn't have to be well, nearly as, as sturdy? No, 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 no. Like, so with the rammed earth, your forms have to be pretty beefy um, because you are compacting really heavy, dense material. You're fully compacting it. So with rammed earth, you're using... Um, we use a, a marine grade plywood so we get a really really smooth surface so you don't see any of that plywood grain in the wall um, but with with um, hempcrete it's really just a temporary um, form to be there while you compact it and we were just using standard um, three-quarter inch or five-eighths inch um, plywood you can use osb it really doesn't matter um i think you know as long as it's not going to bend or warp um sure. you just it's really just a temporary lightweight material that's keeping it in place and then you move it up the wall so 
yeah, it's really simple. We just screw it into the the studs, and then um, and then you take it down and move it up. And so, how are you finishing the wall? I assume that it might be a little bit crumbly since you're not compacting it very densely the way you are with earth. Yeah. So um, there's different ways to finish it out, um, and it really comes down to the aesthetics that you want, and also um, um, and, pro and probably the the location and the application. Um, so we on the interior side, you have options. You could finish it with um, clay plaster, lime plaster. Um, you could um, even fur it out with furring strips and apply um, an MGO board. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of options there. Um, and then on the exterior, the same same kind of thing. You can finish it with um, clay plasters, lime plasters, or you can do a rain screen application where you have the furring strips and you have an air gap. And then you could use, you know, your wood siding or metal or whatever it is that you're going for. Um, you know, the big rules of thumb, just like with all of our natural building methods, is breathability. So you want to make sure you have breathability all the way through that wall system. You don't want to come in and put um, like a plywood sheathing on the exterior that's not going to allow that vapor to move through it. Um, and, you know, I think it just boils down to the design. You know, are the walls really exposed? If so, I would probably be more inclined to do the rain screen method on the exterior and do some kind of a wood um, cladding. Um, but if it was a more protected wall, like underneath of a, a porch or something, then I would probably go with a clay or a lime plaster. Um, in our workshop, we um, we did some clay plasters. We mixed a um, clay standard clay soil plaster, and we added hemp fiber into the mix just to add some fiber. And so we did. Um, a leveling coat first with um, a clay fiber rich clay plaster um, that turned out to be really really hard um, and then from there you could go with a, a more refined clay plaster or a lime plaster so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of options as long as you're not putting a impermeable non-breathable um, material Sure. On it. Your latex paints, your cement stuff. Yes. Things like that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you, you do get a little bit of, you know, crumbly crumbles, but, um, but once you plaster it, you know, all of that is really just kind of glued together. Um, and in fact, Chris said that they are experimenting at his school with on the interior side, actually leaving the hempcrete exposed because you actually get a really cool aesthetic. It's very similar to rammed earth because you get hmm. those layers. You see the layers, you know, because you're tamping it in lifts. So you get like, um, you see those, that sort of striation of layers. And um, so they're playing around with making a more lime rich 
um, mix and tamping it a little bit harder on that interior face and seeing if they can create um, a hempcrete interior wall that would not need to have any plaster, um, maybe some kind of a, a clear um, glaze or something, you know, could be painted on, but um, sure. I thought that was a pretty cool thing to experiment with. Yeah, I love that the people who have schools and students and places of demonstration are tampering with all these things to see what works. They're really yeah. the ones kind of pushing to see uh, how these materials yeah. kind of perform in the long run. Yeah, and in fact, um, I'm getting, I'm starting right now um, a semester course with my students at the American College of the Building Arts, and we're going to be building a, um, a kids clubhouse um, for a neighborhood down here. And through that course, we're going to um, do some of our own experimentation. And I'm working with um, hemp fiber reinforced rammed earth um, because in seismic and high wind areas, you have to reinforce the rammed earth just like you would with other masonry methods. And the, the standard industry practice is to embed rebar, which we, we a lot of us kind of question whether or not that's the best way, you know, to yeah, reinforce the material, if it's really doing anything, you know, the carbon footprint, yada, yada, yada. So um, there was a uh, graduate student who actually did a thesis on fiber reinforced um, rammed earth and the, the results um, came out really well. So that's, you know, what, what I would like to shift to is, you know, continuously improving these methods so that we can keep getting them more and more sustainable. So if we can eliminate the rebar from the rammed earth and instead use hemp fiber as the reinforcing, um, you know, use lime as the stabilizer instead of cement, um so that's what we'll be working on um this semester in my class that's exciting that's pretty exciting yeah so with these types of new materials and even the revival of old and traditional natural building materials where do you start to see the opportunity to renovate or remodel traditional or industrial buildings and homes either with add-ons or changes or fixes into the structure that can extend the life of the building, give it kind of a, a revival, or even just yeah. improve it altogether. Yeah, and this is an interesting conversation that Chris Magwood and I had when he was in town because Charleston is an old, very old city. Um, we have really, really um, old buildings um, in our downtown that go back to the um, 1600s. And, um, so there's a big preservation and restoration focus here in Charleston. And um, as spray foam insulation has become more and more um, popular, a lot of the these historic old buildings are being retrofitted with um, spray foam insulations. And these are buildings that have always been able to breathe. Um, they've never been, you know, sealed up tight before. Um, and so there are issues that come with um, making a building, especially an older building, too tight um, and not having the proper ventilation on the inside anymore. So then you get a buildup of 
moisture and moisture problems. Um, so we were talking about how we think, um, especially hempcrete would be a fabulous way to retrofit a lot of these old buildings because of its breathability um, potential. And you could insulate the buildings and, and get a really tight envelope, but it would still be vapor permeable and you would allow that building to be able to breathe. And, and I think, you know, to preserve the longevity of a lot of these really old buildings and this really old wood um, would be better suited to use something like hempcrete, which could um, handle that kind of moisture movement um, instead of your spray foam insulations. So I think um, whether it's a historic home or even just um, uh, an existing home, I mean, I think you can definitely do um, hempcrete retrofits to existing homes. And that's, that's an ongoing conversation and, and something uh, a place that I I would like to really take my work. Um, I think renovations are really important and often overlooked. Um, we focus so much on new construction, um, but there's so many buildings already here that need some TLC, and um, and I think that we can certainly um, retrofit and renovate existing structures um, using hempcrete or or other methods um, in lieu of I keep going back to spray foam because that's <laughs> what um, has become it's very pretty very awful stuff popular. I mean I get why it's popular it's dropped in price and it's easy it's very easy to app yeah the application is yeah. really easy it goes quick and stuff but it's easy man the VLCs the from that and the yeah yeah and that's you know again I'm going to keep talking about Chris because he's, he's kind of like my idol now. Hey, Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just had an interview with him. I published his episode know, maybe two I or three weeks ago. So well, we did he, talk a little know, bit about hempcrete and yeah. Yeah. He, he blew my mind with all of his research and that he presented on while he was here and really um, broke it down to layman's terms so easily and, and being able to see, in chart form and in graphic form all these materials that we use and then understanding which ones really truly have the highest um, carbon footprint as well as the toxic emissions of chemicals during the not just during the production but also once it's in the building right. um, and then you know also thinking about the long-term cost of that where the materials are going to go and i live in a coastal area and so i'm thinking you know when we get sacked by a huge hurricane all of all of the spray foam and styrofoam that's going to end up in the ocean you know mm. as a result so the 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 bottom line is in chris's research um on climate change the spray foams are at the top of the list and it was convincing enough to make me say okay at my firm we're no longer going to specify any foam product products in any project. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's like number one, <laughs> we have to stop using, we got to get off the foam. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta start, even if it's just, you know, switching to cellulose or um, stone wool or, you know, something like that, even fiberglass um, insulation yeah. has a much, much lower, um, 
carbon footprint and um, global warming potential than your foams. Certainly. So. I just personally always wince whenever someone says fiberglass because I've had so many horrible experiences. Of yeah, it. No, it's like I used to work on ships and I tore up like a whole bunch of fiberglass insulation around the exhaust pipes of the engine without any yeah. protective gear. And I was oh, itching man. for like a week. Oddly enough, the only thing that finally got it off was bentonite clay, which I like rubbed all over my arms oh, and let it dry and then washed <laughs> it off because it just like basically root it. Oh. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so talking well, about all those like, materials that you would caution against, what are some of the, the materials or techniques that you found success with within re, uh, renovation projects that you've done or that you would advocate for? Yeah, I mean, a lot of, um, you know, I, I work a lot in the conventional world too, even though I'm, I'm advocating for, you know, a lot of the alternative methods such as rammed earth and hempcrete um but i do a lot of work with just standard conventional um materials as well and so even just shifting over um to cellulose insulation it's affordable it works well um you know i think it's a great insulation um option and i've worked a little bit with the um, stone wool insulation um which is not quite as environmentally friendly, but I would still say it's better than fiberglass. It's better than spray foam. Um, I think that's a nice option. It's a bat um, that just goes between studs. It's very rigid. So you can um, like put it in your roof line and it'll just stay there. You know, it doesn't sag, it doesn't droop. So I've been really pleased with um, the performance of stone wool insulation. Um, and and just more plaster work. Um, I'm um, doing more um, specifying and, and applying more um, lime-based plasters, um, clay-based paints. Um, so a lot more, you know, mineral-based interior finishes. Um, there's a great product I've been working with called Limestrong. Um, that is Ryan Chiver's product. Um, it's a comes in a bag, add water. The instructions are on their website. And so if you have a little bit of trial experience, it's a very nice DIY kind of a method and it can go right over drywall. Um, I think so, I follow on Instagram. They always post really beautiful pictures of the things yeah, that they do. Yeah, their work is gorgeous. And um, Ryan's like a an amazing plaster artisan, but he's come up with this great product and it's very user-friendly um, and it's all natural materials. So, um, you know, I think just shift, there's little, there's little shifts, you know, away from latex paint to, you know, your more natural mineral based finishes. Um, and I'm finding more and more clients are coming to me because they have, chemical sensitivities or they have a child with extreme asthma or, you know, mold um, sickness. So people are, I believe, experiencing more and more um, indoor air quality issues. And the research shows us that um, your clay-based, lime-based, natural mineral-based finishes actually can detoxify the air. Um, well, and, on that note, let's take a little step back and 
because I think a lot of people aren't aware of the toxins in their homes. A lot of people think that, you know, especially if they live in cities, that their interior yeah. area is going to be healthier or somehow less polluted than the air outside. Whereas that's often not the case. Can you help us to identify some of the culprits and things that we should be aware of that need to be identified before we can start to live in healthier interior environments? Right. Yeah. Well, um, Oh, that's a big, big um, topic. But um, we have really put a lot of energy and focus this year on researching indoor air quality issues and, and trying to understand that. Um, there are what's called red list chemicals. These are known carcinogen um, chemicals that exist um, that are, you know, on the, uh, I believe, F FDA um, known carcinogen chemicals that are bad for you. And these red list chemicals are in all kinds of building products and materials and furniture. And um, so it really, it's overwhelming <laughs> when you start to read this stuff and look at it and understand that, um, wow, these chemicals are pretty much in, in so many things that we just don't even think about or know about. Um, I mean, it's, it's information that's there. They have to list it, they have to print it, but it, it takes somebody doing that research and really looking at it and, and recognizing that yeah, this material has X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And so, you know, we are, um, what we're doing at my firm is, um, we're, we have some colleagues that we're working with that are in the, um, the green product um, world. So they are the experts on products and materials. And so we go to them um, to help us specify the right things for our interiors. Um, and I mean, everything from joint compound on your drywall to the drywall itself, making sure your drywall doesn't have formaldehydes, um, to your, you know, the sealer that's going on your floor, um, looking at, you know, flooring itself, um, you know, staying away from a lot of your composites, things that have a lot of glues in it are going to be more toxic, you're going to have more of those harmful VOCs and the red list chemicals. Unfortunately, the more um, inexpensive materials are the ones that are also full of toxic stuff as you can i'm sure imagine um and i think it just it really just starts with education and awareness i mean we had to educate ourselves first um and so what what we've done what we're doing and in the process of doing is putting together um interior design packages that are healthy home interior packages so we're getting to where we are um able to put together a comprehensive list of materials, everything from your flooring, you know, floors to your ceilings, um, to your plumbing fixtures of um, materials that do not contain any red list chemicals or any of the known harmful VOCs. Um, so it is, um, it's a big task, but, um, that is that's what our focus is on and we're really trying to create spaces for people that um that will result in 
good indoor air quality. For sure. Now, if I answered your question. No, no, definitely. I, it's a much bigger topic that we can cover just speaking of, about it offhand. Like there's, there's data in this, there's specific things that you need to look into. Even just to be able to read a material safety data sheet is difficult. It requires some education. Exactly. Um, okay. But we can definitely point and, some people to the articles that you've written on your blog. And I think I saw one in Medium, yeah. which I looked at mm -hmm. and were, were very informative. Um, yeah. What other resources would you maybe put people in, in the direction of to find out more for themselves? Um, let's see. We have a lot of resources um, that I don't unfortunately have right in front of me at the That's moment. That's right, another trick for this, um, like, and if you share any of them with me later, I can put them in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, that's no what I was thinking. But um, there's some good that. books out there. The problem is because so many new chemicals and products are constantly coming out, I'm always worried that a book that was published, you know, five years ago might not be particularly relevant. Yeah. The product lines that are currently on the market. Yeah. Well, and the, the big kind of rule of thumb that, that we just keep coming back to and becomes so blatantly obvious is that um, our clays and our limes and our natural minerals are like the best things we can have in our spaces. Yeah. Um, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but the more natural your your finishes and your wall system, the better that air quality is going to be, um, the more heavily manufactured and produced and you know the composite materials plastic and petroleum based materials the more toxic you're going to get so the more you right. can stay towards your natural woods um your um you know natural grasses and corks and that kind of thing but even with you know cork and bamboo you have to look because a lot of those have glues that are added so i would be happy to um to share with you um, some of the resources we've been using. Um, when I can email that to you. Sure, no worries. Just send an email to me after whenever you get a chance, and I'll make sure that they go on the show notes. But so in the meantime, yeah, can you tell awesome. me a little bit about your recommendations for people who are trying to tackle some of these projects on their own. Um, you made it sound like the hempcrete is something that with a bit of education, some might, someone might be able to tackle a smaller project or get some help with and be able to do themselves. What about mm -hmm. the analysis of the health of their home? Um, yeah, that's, um, well, you can call us. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, there, um, I mean, it, I, I guess it just depends on exactly what you're trying to, to pinpoint. Um, you know, if you think that there might be like a mold, um, kind of an issue, then, um, pinpointing the source of that problem, whether it's you know, where the water is coming from, is there water infiltration or is there just a buildup of moisture that's coming from the inside? It, it's really, um, a lot of these things are, it's almost like a forensic exploration of um, trying to figure out what the problem is and where it's coming from, you know, what's the root of it? Or if it's just um, that you're interested in non-toxic materials, um, you know, again, that, that just kind of goes back to what I was just saying about, um, avoiding the red list chemicals, avoiding, um, your, 
composites and glue heavy materials. Um, but it's, um, yeah, that's kind of a big question because it, it just, um, <laughs> I, I also there is a lot to consider for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I do have, have a great expert expert that I, um, work with that I call on. He is an expert in moisture and mold issues. So, um, you know, someone who's experiencing mildews or molds or mustiness or too, too much moisture, um, he can come in and begin to figure out, you know, is there a source of entry um, of the water or is it that the mechanical system's not right? A lot of times our mechanical systems are out of balance and not providing the right kind of airflow and dehumidification that you need. Um, and that's again, coming back to the issues around spray foam, um, and really, um, vapor impermeable envelopes that we're seeing like your zip systems, um, your SIPs panels, um, all of these <clears throat> styrofoam heavy systems are great at insulating the building, but they're not allowing any kind of vapor movement. And when that happens, you have to rely completely on your interior mechanical system to provide the right amount of ventilation and dehumidification. If you don't have that, then you're going to end up with a buildup of moisture and also, um, you know, toxins. I mean, we, we breathe and, and we cook and we create um, moisture and stuff in our homes. Um, and if we're not allowing that moisture to get out of the home properly, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from a climate in the Southeast that is moisture rich. Um, we have a lot of moisture related issues. So I know that these issues probably aren't as big in other parts of the country, but, um, these are our issues here, but that's what we're seeing is, um, a lot of moldy, musty, failing brand new custom high-end homes because um in a lot of instances they're just too tight they're too tight and then there's not adequate um ventilation on the interior and so it's just a balance it's a whole you know you have to look at the whole holistic system and see how is this building gonna perform how do you want it to perform and how does it need to perform and then making sure that everything is in balance from the wall system to the mechanical system. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty um, building science is, um, I love it and I hate it. And it's it getting more time. complicated <laughs> because of, like you said, all of these new chemicals and materials yes. and things. It's not as simple as just, okay, what do I have around me that can hold a roof up and keep the wind out? It's, exactly. it's gotten so much more yeah. complicated than that. And I mean, just like you mentioned a second ago, one of my first reactions when you start to see the popularity of these, you know, hyper-efficient buildings, everything from passive house to all the retrofits that they're doing for energy efficiency. And they talk about things like, oh, you could heat it with a candle or a hairdryer. And I'm like, yeah, but that means that there's no air exchange. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah. it's great that you can save on energy, but if it means that you're in a hermetically sealed building with moisture problems, exactly. tons of toxins from all of the, you know, new aid or hyper modern chemical heavy 
industrial materials yeah. that are in it. It's like, okay, fine. <laughs> you, you lower your bill yeah. on, on the energy side, but you just shot your bill up on the healthcare side. So you end up paying yeah. for it one way or another. Yeah, you really have to have a, a fresh air intake. If you're going to have a super sealed up tight home like that, um, like a SIPS yeah. home or, or an ICF, you know, the styrofoam ICF home, um, you really have to have a good fresh air supply in your HVAC system. Otherwise, you can you can get some pretty nasty results. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It's 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 uber complicated. And it's like. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I, I the do love more, earth because it's so simple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the more that you can live outside or make your home environment yeah. like the outdoors. And I mean, there's always problems with that, given how damaged the ecosystems many of us live in are now, but still erring on that side of, you know, good ventilation from the outdoors in, in a healthier environment and, you know, trying not to live in these, these little boxes that are cut off from, from where we should be interacting is probably a, a good kind of rule of thumb when yeah. making decisions like this. Yeah. And I think a lot too about the laborers, um, you know, it's not just about the people who are living in, in these homes, but the people who are building with these materials day in, day out for decades, you know, what are they experiencing? What are their, what are their long-term health effects going to be, you know? Yeah, I've thought about that um, a lot. Like I've worked in the construction trades, especially the industrial trades for much longer than I was in natural building. And when you think about how often you need to wear a respirator and all this protective yeah. gear, and it's like, well, if I need to put on all of this to build with this, like these people are in here all the time. What's that doing to them? Yeah. It's like, look at the guys doing the uh, spray foam with the yeah. hazmat suits on. <laughs> oh yeah. They look like they're going to space. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so within that, um, before we run on too long, April, can you tell our listeners a bit about the educational opportunities that you have coming up and how they can get in touch with you for more information? Sure. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have um, any workshops scheduled currently. Um, it is something I'm trying to, um, to ramp up in 2020 and um that's something we're working on actually is um how to respond to this growing need and this growing demand of education um but currently um my the only class i'm leading right now is with my students at the american college of building arts um and then outside of that um you can always um reach us through our website, rootdowndesigns.com. Um, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we do have some blogs that we um, published this year on Medium um, that are just under my name, April McGill. Um, you can also find those links on our website. So we're trying to get more just informative information out there when and where we can. Um, and um, I'm also doing more presentations and speaking gigs to different groups and trying to, um, to educate that way, even at the city level. Um, I've been speaking um, with our city government officials about these issues so that we can hopefully start to make changes 
in public housing and um, low-income housing um, and um, so yes the the demand for information and education I see is is growing and it's something that we are trying to figure out how to respond to it so we are making plans um, in 2020 to be able to offer more ongoing classes and workshops on rammed earth on hempcrete um, on there's another product we're working with Fazwall block um, which is a more natural icf block um, so those three methods um, i hope to be able to to offer ongoing classes next year in 2020 around those three methods um, and then the occasional um, plaster and finish kind of work but yeah just reach out send us the send us an email um shoot us a message on social media if there's something specific that you are wanting information on um we offer um consulting services um i'm constantly continuing to learn from chris i'm actually going to canada in a couple weeks to meet with him for a little bit um, so I can soak up more of his knowledge. Um, and so trying to find more and more avenues and ways to get the information out there. And I think the more people know, then the more we can start to make these changes. And um, what I'm seeing is a real, um, within the past year, I've, I've seen a, a pretty big shift, I think, there's a level of awareness um, and action that people are ready to take. Whereas um, before, you know, I think a lot of this stuff has been sounded cool, but not really didn't seem attainable to a lot of people. And now what I'm seeing are people who are ready to, to take action and they're ready to sort of make that shift um, away from the, these conventional materials that we've been so accustomed to using so um Absolutely. yeah we're just gonna keep trying to get more and more info out there um and then we we're offering we're trying to offer more and more easy to access information so um like we've launched um a series of small home small healthy home stock plans this year um so these oh yeah are i saw those. those look great yeah pre-engineered highly detailed um house plans for small efficient healthy homes um so we're building up that inventory but that's something that you can just um you know it's, it's available it's ready to purchase and then also um on our interiors we are we've put together an e-package um for purchase so healthy homes healthy interiors e-download so we're trying to create more and more information that's just easy to access um, from our website you know if you don't have the time or the money for custom um, consulting or custom you know architectural services which many of us don't um, so yeah we're we're trying to re respond to you know average folks who need solutions but you know can't necessarily afford custom architectural services and interior design 
For sure. Yeah, that's a really necessary resource. And I really thank people like you and like Chris, who are doing all that legwork, um, you know, the doing the heavy research, working with local municipalities and governments, and putting together educational material that really help folks, uh, you know, get informed about their options and, and what is going to work best for them and improve their lives. So I'm going to make sure to... And it's going to take an army. We're going to need people over. So if you're interested and you want to help, contact I'll see what I can put together from over here. Now that I'm located in Spain, I'm kind of figuring out kind of uh, what the the regulations and environment here are like before I start making any bigger plans. But I'm definitely going to be offering some more educational programs in the future too. So awesome, cool. Yeah. All right. So I'll make sure to link to all of those articles that you mentioned. And if anybody's interested in listening to uh, Chris's podcast. I'll put a link to that as well. He gives a lot of great information, uh, like April was mentioning on the details of certain types of materials and techniques. And yeah, it was really great to talk to you again. Let's try and do another session before too long. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Oliver. And it was my pleasure for all of your work in helping to spread this info. That's Cheers. We'll make a good team. All right. Take care. I'll talk to you <laughs> all soon. Right, thanks. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at abundantedge.com. And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.